0: In building a law firm, Rich and Michael, I can tell you, almost everything I do has failed. I try all this different stuff. It fails all the time. But I find things that work. People laugh at me, but certain things do work. Like the print newsletter that you get, uh, Rich, every month. I've done it since December of 2010. Now, other lawyers say to me, newsletters are garbage. Why would you do a newsletter? Well, you know, I say to them, how long have you tried a newsletter? And they'll say four months. I'm like four months. You've got to give it at least a year before you see any return on any uh, marketing. They just don't understand the goal in life. The key to success in anything that you do is consistency, doing the same thing over and over again. And I don't care if it's the crappiest marketing in the world. If you're consistent in the way that you do it, you will succeed. And that's something I believe I'll share with you this personally. I've jogged at least one mile for 996 consecutive days. I'm almost at day 1000. It's consistency. It's actually, it's not that hard to jog a mile a day, but when you just build it up every single day, you just get it done. I've done the newsletter every month since 2010, but over time it builds and rich people say to me, I get your newsletters. I put them in a binder and I read them over and over again. And all I'm really doing, Rich, is I'm building content for the next book, The Power of a System, The Law Firm of Your Dreams. I just had a legacy book that came out this year called Win Today.
1: Hey, law firm owners. Welcome to the Your Practice Mastered podcast. We're your hosts. I'm MPS.
2: And I'm Richard James. And MPS today, uh, I've got a good friend, long-term friend, that I've worked with from the very beginning. Oh my gosh, it's got to be almost 13-ish plus years ago now that John and I met. And uh, he's, a, he's not only a great attorney in, in a specialty in what he does and catastrophic illness cases, and his referral to referral attorney network has made him a wonderful giver through the years to other attorneys to learn how to grow their practices. He's got two amazing books. I highly recommend that you read them. And today we're going to unpack some of what John has to say about Mm. running a law firm, attorney mindset, all the things that are important to getting things done. So John, thanks for coming on the call today. I really appreciate you.
0: Oh, my pleasure. I'm a big fan of yours, Rich, and I appreciate what you do for our profession. It's been invaluable because I can tell you this. So many lawyers are in the weeds every day, but they're misguided because the most important thing we can do is focus on the development, strategic planning, goal setting, stuff that they're not doing because they're too busy being in the weeds. And you have placed that focus on our profession and it's a business mindset. So Lawyers don't think like businessmen you do. And what you teach is so business oriented. It's invaluable.
2: Well, thank you for that. Yeah, um, I know. Michael, Michael, you've learned as you've now been in our world for a minute that as you you, you I think Oh, you should tell me I'm not going to put words in your mouth. Did you find yourself surprised that as you started working with lawyers, how little many of them knew about business?
1: Yes, mainly because a lot of the circles I hung around prior to that were so vastly different, you know, and, and so it was quite surprising to see how lawyers thought the complete opposite direction. <laughs> and, and so it was, it was very intriguing to see. So I, I think John brings up a great point. John, one of the things we like to do to kind of open up the audience to get to know you a little bit is what's something that maybe not everybody knows about you?
0: Well, very few people would know that I love gardening. I love growing plants, vegetables, roses, every type of flower imaginable, and I'm pretty good at it. Mm. I'm really good with the chainsaw. If you have a tree on your lawn that needs to come down, I'm your guy. (laughs) I'm really handy with the chainsaw. So there are certain things. One other thing, Strange thing is I'm really good at arm wrestling. It's the strangest thing. Now, unless someone can crush my hand, I can pretty much take them down fast. It's weird, but it's just a a thing that I have. And so those are three things that are very unique to me. I don't brag about them, but if someone ever wants to be tested, I'm ready. (laughs)
2: Gardening.
1: The
0: gauntlet is thrown. Yeah, the
2: gauntlet has been thrown down. Gardening, cutting down trees with chainsaw, and arm wrestling. I would not have guessed. I promise you that none of those would have been my guess. I know some of this because I read your newsletter and you throw some of this color in there every now and then, but I did not know about the arm wrestling. I'm not very good at Mm. gardening at all. I have used a chainsaw. I don't know that anybody would really trust me with it long-term and I haven't arm wrestled in years. So I don't know, John, we'll try it. Next time we meet in person, you got to give me a go just in case you never know. I'm, I'm 53 now, so we got to be That's careful. That's usually break. not
0: something people want to be tested on, but it's always fun when I get somebody who's young, who's into weightlifting and they'll be like, oh yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll arm wrestle you. And then it's a fun thing Yeah, because they're like, how, how the hell did that happen? Right, right, <laughs> right. Yeah. I
2: mean, I don't know how old you, are. I didn't ask, but I, I'm 53 now. So I feel like if I do too much arm wrestling, something might break. I don't, I don't know. It's uh, the older I get. So yeah. anyway, thrilled to have you here today. Michael, where do you want to take it from here?
1: Well, I've got the pleasure of the landscaper being right outside my window. How about window. that? So... Isn't that
2: great? <laughs> hey, so John, why don't you why don't you start? Yeah, us so off I'm going and, do... and give us a little piece of your journey. So when I met you, you had just left the firm that you were at, and I think that was. I think that was 13 years ago, if not more, something like that. Is that right? How long has it been? Yeah. I
0: mean, Richard, I got fired. I I spent my whole career doing catastrophic injury law at a prominent, nationally prominent catastrophic injury law firm. I was a non-equity partner Mm -hmm. making good money, but not amazing money, good money. And so everything was taken care of. No debt, no credit cards. My kids were in private school. Everything was kind of going rosy for me. Mm Then on June 2nd, 2010, the senior partners of the firm called me into a meeting, had no idea what to expect, and they very calmly said to me, it's time we part ways. Mm. And I'm like, whoa, Mm. what's going to happen now? And I walked out the door that day in this big conference room with this huge oak table. And all I could think of is I got three little kids at home and a wife. What am I going to do next week when I don't have a paycheck? Mm. And it dawned on me, Rich, at that moment that I had to get busy. And I started for the next two and a half years, I documented every system and policy I had for running a law firm. And I put it all together, management, marketing, the technical aspects into a book called The Power of a System. It wasn't intended to be a book. That is not actually a book. It was intended to be the the, sort of the roadmap for my firm. I put it all out there. I gave everything I had. And the goal of this would be simply so that it's not enough for me to know what to do. The people who work on our team need to know what the, because I'm not going to be here all the time. So it needs the goal of any law firm, in my opinion, is to have a self managing law firm that can function just fine when you're not there. If you want to go away for 30 days or two months, your law firm is not only going to still be there, it will thrive in your absence. And people are not going to be call, contacting you for advice on what to do every five minutes. You have to get away from that. So the power of a system was really what I did. And Rich, I can tell you, I was scared like you wouldn't believe. I didn't know if I was going to succeed. I didn't have any idea. And I thought, well, will, the, will we still have settlements? Will we still get cases resolved? And what I've looked what i 've learned looking back on this is the biggest mistake of my career was I didn't start my own law firm 10 years before I did. I should have done that interesting. Uh, because when you work for your own yourself, you're working for your family. Mm. Now, I already have a partner. it's called the IRS, so I don't need another partner, right? <laughs> but the reality the reality is. That when you work for yourself and if you're working late hours, it's so fulfilling when you work for a firm, you're really working to make someone else rich. So I got away by that, but not by choice. They forced it on me and going out on my own is something I should have done much sooner.
2: Hey, you know, I've got a question. So, you know, you were a lawyer's lawyer. You had a paycheck did, were you entrepreneurial before that? Like, were you raised in an entrepreneurial home that you had this feeling of un- or general understanding that you needed to have systems that run ran your law firm? Like, how did where did that come from? Did you learn it? Did you digest it out there in the world from others? Or did you did, were you born mm-hmm. with it and saw it like because. Because that is not, I will tell you, it's not natural for me to run into a lawyer and that says, oh, I'm going to open up my own firm and I'm going to document all the systems and put it into a pamphlet so other people can use it. Like that's the last thing they think about. Right. So that came natural to you. What? Why did that happen, do you think? Where did that come
0: from? Rich, we see it right here with with your son, Michael. It's like he watches you. He sees what you do. and. And it's not what you tell him to do. It's how you act. Right. And when he sees you doing certain things, he's like, oh, that's going in my memory bank. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to use that in my future. So he learns by how you act, not by what you say. Right. And when I was a young kid, my father was a lawyer. He, he had a friend who was a, a coach for the New York Yankees. And we'd go to the games all the time. Nice. And so the Yankees were replacing all of their seats, 60,000 seats. So they're taking all these crappy... Wooden seats that were all basically destroyed. And so my father's coach, one of the Yankees coach said to my father, do you want to buy a few of these? My father said, I'll buy all of them. He bought 60,000 seats at Yankee Stadium. So get this. My father finds some friend of his who's got like multiple tractor trailers. He just pulls up to Yankee Stadium. They take all these crappy wooden seats out of the stadium, dump them into the, the tractor trailers. The tractor trailers drive up to upstate New York, go to a ski resort, and he has a friend who owns a ski resort. They dump 60,000 seats into the, the, like the mountain, mountainside, right? And they're all just sitting there. And my father's got no idea what he's going to do for, with them. But get this. This was before memorabilia was really that popular. Right. People started calling and saying, like, oh, we'd love to have Yankee Stadium seats. That's where Babe Ruth, you know, they, they, that was like with the original stadium." And so he began selling. He made a fortune and he would do things like one of the things I didn't share with you is our family loves to travel to this day. We travel all the time. So my father would take us on bizarre trips. So we'd go to Venezuela, but we wouldn't go to like a resort and hang out at the beach. We would take in a private plane into the jungle and they would actually have to mow the runway just so we could land the plane. And when we would get there, All of the natives were naked. (laughs) So so I'm like a little kid walking around, all, all these naked people. But I think that that's the norm because I'm watching what my father was doing and I'm thinking, huh, you know, I could do the same thing. So to this day, taking my wife and kids on travel is something that we love. We do it all the time. And we've had some crazy trips too to Africa and other places, Israel middle east jordan turkey Mm -hmm. everywhere that you could imagine and it's so fulfilling rich because i think in my life americans are so spoiled they don't realize how lucky they are to live in this country it's an amazing place Mm -hmm. and i say that for one reason because you and i can go out onto the street right now and we can yell at the top of our lungs anything that we want to say You can't do that in other countries. It doesn't work. They arrest you if you do stuff like that. You know, if I go to Turkey and I speak against the president of Turkey, they come and arrest me, and then they probably torture me. Oh my God. (laughs) You know, it's terrible, but that's the way it is. This is a great country. And I love the fact that we live in a place where there's no limits, that we can do anything that we want in life. And all we have to do is be brave enough to take a chance, roll the dice, knowing that in almost all cases, we're going to fail at what we do. Who cares? In building a law firm, Rich and Michael, I can tell you, almost everything I do has failed. I try all this different stuff. It fails, it fails, it fails all the time. But I find things that work. People laugh at me, but certain things do work. Like the print newsletter that you get, uh, Rich, every month. I've done it since December of 2010. Now, other lawyers say to me, Newsletters are garbage. Why would you do a newsletter? Well, you know, I say to them, How long have you tried a newsletter? And they'll say, Four months. I'm like, Four months? You've got to give it at least a year before you see any return on any uh, marketing. They just don't understand. The goal in life, the key to success in anything that you do is consistency doing the same thing over and over again. And I don't care if it's the crappiest marketing in the world, if you're consistent in the way that you do it, you will succeed. And that is something I believe, I'll share with you this personally, I've jogged at least one mile for 996 consecutive days. I'm almost at day 1000. Wow. It's consistency. It's, it actually is not that hard to jog a mile a day, but when you just build it up every single day, you just get it done. I've done the newsletter every month since 2010. Mm -hmm. But over time, it builds. And Rich, people say to me, I get your newsletters. I put them in a binder and I read them over and over again. And all I'm really doing, Rich, is I'm building content for the next book. The Power of a System, The Law Firm of Your Dreams. I just had a legacy book that came out this year called Win Today. Mm -hmm. And by the way, if any of your listeners email me, I'm happy to give them a signed copy of any of the books there it's with my love. And, and I so much appreciate what you do, Rich, and looking. And when I say that, I mean it because it's you're focusing lawyers and teaching them on business, not the legal stuff, which is frankly, it's important to master that. But if somebody comes to you, Rich, and they haven't mastered the legal stuff, then it's too early for them anyway. They need to master that stuff first and then get into the, marketing, the management and building a firm. That's really important for sure.
2: By the way, we've done a newsletter for now 14 years as well. And, and it's every month and I've written four articles for every month for 14 years. And I, and sometimes it's like, oh my gosh, I got to do the articles, right? I I have fun doing it to a certain extent, but you know, it's been consistent, right? And so uh, I'm a consistency nut myself. I have an app that I read the Bible on. I'm on Two hundred and sixty-five weeks in a row, you know that, nice. that streak. So I'm a streak person as well. I like to. I you you will find me sitting in the same chair every single morning, eating the exact same breakfast and drinking out of the same coffee cup at seven o'clock every single morning. I mean that's just how I am. So I, I relate to this idea of streaks. Michael, are you as uh,
1: are you a streak oriented or no? Oh, I'm very streak-oriented. Take a look at the Duolingo, you know, day day 470. I'm streak-oriented, right? (laughs) I'm the same way. Streaks, just there's something about it. You just don't want to break it. So you just keep going, keep going, keep going. I want to unpack something you said though, John, because you said it just like so naturally and it's something that seems to come so unnatural to law firm owners, which is this idea of being okay with failing and just Mm -hmm. understanding
0: Failure going to happen. Well, what makes that just so natural for you? Well, I, I do different speaking events. And, and this is what I would say to other attorneys. Let's say that no one wants you as a speaker. Who cares? Do your own speaking events. You don't need somebody's authorization to do this. So I set up a speaking event in New York City about internet marketing. And I plastered ads to all the lawyers in New York City. 1,900 that I could find that do injury law. A lot of them. And a few of them signed up about 15. So I go to this Marriott Marquis in Midtown Manhattan and it's I've got the videographers. I've got a, a fam, you know, a film crew. I've got everything all set up. Not a single person shows up. Ah, ah. <laughs> and so we're there and the film crew starts packing up their stuff. And I said to them, where are you going? Right. They go, well, there's no one here. I said, what, what do you mean? We're still gonna film this. Correct. So they, they spent about an hour filming this in this big conference room overlooking Midtown Manhattan. Oh, it was gorgeous. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and I took that video and I sent it to our video editor and they chopped it up into little pieces, sent it out into social media. And we had a really nice work product. So it's being okay with failure means that if you have a speaking event and one or two people shows up, who cares? Those could be bonds and relationships that will serve you the rest of your career. So it's not about volume. Our firm has 599 referring attorneys. But of those 599, it's really about four or five firms that send us all of our work. The others, very sporadic. So probably about 95% of our revenue is derived from about 1% of our referring attorneys. So that's not the Pareto principle. That's more like, that's crazy on steroids.
2: Right, it's Pareto versus Pareto, 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 Pareto. Pareto,
0: Pareto, yeah. So knowing who is going to send you a pipeline of referrals is the key and being okay with discomfort. So the way I met the biggest law firm, personal injury law firm in New York City was I told them, I do this event called the jury project. It's a, it's a CLE. We put on a focus group and we work on one of their cases to help them prepare for trial. And they said, well, why would we want to come to this? We already do focus groups. And I said, okay. But they sent a couple of their partners. They saw the event and they were like, that was incredible. And they went back to the senior partner. He and I had lunch. And then after that, it works so that we get a steady referrals every single week from this law firm. And and that's the thing really about it is that being willing to put yourself out there doing crazy stuff that other people are unwilling to do. One of my lawyer friends, Craig Goldenfarb, said that he built his law firm one lunch at a time. He has one lunch a week with a referral partner One lunch a week with a prospective referral partner, and he just built it that way. He didn't spend money on billboards or ads or anything else. He was building relationships, and that is what is so critical. And Rich, I can share this with you. Whenever we do a marketing seminar, I'll ask people, what is the number one source of your, your best cases? and about 90% of the room will say referrals. That's across the board. Wherever you go, they'll say referrals. So it's not necessarily the internet, although it is for some, but it's primarily referrals. And then I'll say to them, okay, referrals from whom? And they'll say, about half will say former clients. Mm -hmm. The other half will say lawyers. And I say, okay, so we've got 45% of the room who gets their best cases from lawyers. Mm -hmm. How many of you have a documented system for acquiring and nurturing lawyer referrals. Not a single hand will go up. Right. And it's like, so they think just by doing good work, they'll get more more work. And that's partly true, but isn't it more effective if your most of your income is coming from lawyer referrals who pre-screen cases for merit for you, that you have an actual system to get those leads. Uh, but Amen, unfortunately, brother. very few people have it. It's, it's crazy in my opinion. Amen,
2: brother. I mean, listen, at the end of the day, it's it, but this is a very refreshing conversation, by the way, because everybody else yeah, done wants to talk about internet marketing and Facebook marketing and lead generation. And, and Michael and I are sales-driven people, right? So we work with a, not, a lot of non-contingency-based firms that have to charge fees and have to get real dollars collected during the initial consultation. So our one of our superpowers is, is setting appointments and closing those deals into, into paying clients. And those are great conversations, but referral-based marketing, you, there is no question about it. If, if a law firm owner is struggling on what to do next, if they would just invest a certain percentage of every single week on focusing on referral-based marketing, it'll take time, but that consistency over time will pay off forever. As long as you're in practice and as long as you're a good human, you'll keep getting business from those referral relationships that you've built through the years because people like to do business with people they like. And when you build relationship and when you have a system and you can track it and you throw it on steroids and you start thinking about giving free content and all the good things that you've been doing, I mean, you're not just teaching this out of theory. You're teaching this now out of you know, 14 years of doing it. Right. I mean, that's the reality. And so I, I, I hope that the lawyer that's listening to this right now, that's wondering which new Facebook ad they should put out there, which new YouTube video they should put out there. Not that I'm poo-pooing these things, but, but rather than pay attention to which new marketing agency have, how about, what if we just spent a percentage of our time focusing on building
0: a referral development program for your practice? Absolutely, rich. I mean one of the things when people say, "Well, how do I do this? What do I say if I go out? you don 't talk about business, you talk about their family, you talk about sports, but most importantly, you talk about delivering value to their business, helping them with their business and you let 's say we go out to lunch, and this is a common occurrence we 'll go out to lunch with another attorney. The other attorney says john i don 't want to refer this case to you. I just want to pick your mind about what I should do with this case it 's really big." Mm-hmm. And I'll be like, no problem. We'll sit there for two hours and they'll tell me, and I'll give them everything I've got, share every every piece of advice. And then it, oh, you know what happens at the end of that, Rich? Tell me, what do you expect happens at the end of that lunch?
2: Well, they say, you know what, John, why don't we work on this together?
0: (laughs) Yes, that's exactly (laughs) what happens. They say, you know what, this is more complicated than I thought. Why don't we co-counsel on this? We'll split the fee and that's it. Exactly. It's like, oh, (laughs) because I'm delivering value. If I was just trying to hound the guy to get the case. Right it wouldn't work but you've uh, created but the- an environment
2: that that can happen like you purposely have created an environment for those lunches to happen so the first lunch usually sometimes is but usually isn't the lunch where they're talking to you about the case they want to refer to you about usually the first iteration of it is having a cup of coffee where you get to know who the man or woman is and their marriage and their kids and their school or their sports or their whatever and then we start giving them content and then the next thing you know you have a lunch and then before you know it you're somewhere down the road and then they call you about a case right and so you created an environment where that conversation could happen and then because you're you you understood the way that you were to help them best during that conversation they want to talk to you about the case was give just be a giver be honest be transparent don't judge don't try to hound don't try to sell just be a giver And it's amazing what happens, givers get. And I I just love your spirit. and I love your heart around it, not only because it's good lessons and what I'd love everybody listening to
0: this to learn, but because it works. (laughs) Well, I'll, I'll share this. There's an attorney who sent us work for about 15 years. Super nice guy. We never accepted one of his referrals. And every time he would call us, he'd be apologetic and say, you know, I'm so sorry. I realize this is probably not a case. I shouldn't be bothering with you. I said, no. You're honoring us with your referral. It's a privilege to serve your clients because in your mind, we are the best law firm for handling this case. And that's an honor for us. So even if we never make a penny together, I don't care. I still consider this an honor. So during the pandemic, the the courts in New York basically closed for about two years. It was a rough time. If you're a trial attorney, it was. And so this guy's decided he's going to take all of his cases give them to our law firm. And during the pandemic, we made good money during the pandemic because of that attorney's referrals, because we were patient enough to ride it out for about 15 years. Other attorneys may have said, ah, screw it. I'm not interested anymore. But we just kept being consistent. And what I do every day, Rich, I'll update a referring attorney on the status of a referred case. Mm. Here's what we're doing. This is our analysis. This is the expert. Other lawyers never do that, and why does that separate us from them? Because, Rich, if you refer a case to us and we're giving you updates about exactly what's going on, then when the client calls you, they feel like you know you're handling the case, you know what's going on. But if if I'm not updating you, then the client calls you, you're like, I don't, I have no idea what to tell the client. The lack of communication. You will never have a complaint about over-communication. Over-communication is not a problem. Under-communication is the problem in a referral-based firm. And I want to share this one quick story with you, Rich and Michael, because my first book, The Power of a System, people say to me all the time, is it worth it writing a book? It's expensive. I don't know. Well, when I wrote that book in 2014, I'm in Virginia meeting with Ben Glass And Ben was fortunate just to talk to me about what I was doing. He's a very generous, good guy. And so we're just talking. I get a call from a a referring attorney in Newburgh, New York, and they say, we've got a young 26-year-old male who's comatose. He's in the hospital, and they overdose him with anesthesia. I said, "Okay, but I'm in Virginia. I can't get there any sooner. They call me back an hour later. It's too late. They're, They're hiring all these other law firms, the big TV names and everything. I said, just get me a meeting with the client. So two days later, I go to the hospital to meet with the patient's family. And I, when I arrive near their room, there's a line of attorneys with all their hair slicked back, these fancy suits. And it's a line of them. And I'm in the back of the line. And these are guys more experienced, bigger name than I am the whole thing. And I'm like, I got no chance. So finally, my turn comes. I meet with the family. I just have a, a really low pressure conversation with them. And at the end of the conversation, I give them a copy of my book, The Power of a System. I leave the room. And on my expectation is there's no way in the world I'm getting this case. Two days later, one of the family members calls me and said, we're hiring you. I said, that's great. But why, why did you pick me over these bigger name firms? They said, we had no idea who to hire. But for the last two days, your book has been staring us in the face We cracked it open. We saw all these testimonials from other lawyers across the country, and we figured you've got to be the right lawyer for this case. That book got that, you know, that's a multi million dollar case. Mm -hmm. That book did all the selling that I needed because the book is an asset that you will have for the rest of your career. Mm -hmm. And I really think that it's so important for us, Rich. Like I wrote that book, Win Today, the Legacy Book. It's got nothing to do with the law. I wrote that for my kids because. I think what we tell our kids is quickly forgotten. But I think that when we put it in paper, then it's on granite. And, and and if I die today, my kids will have that book and they'll be able to reflect on the lessons in life uh, that I have, my faith, personal fitness, nutrition, everything that I do is in that book. The The streaking, I love to streak in so many different respects, I streak. And so- when the kids see that, they know that I'm someone who's willing to put myself out there. And, you know, if people don't like that, I share my faith openly in my book. Too bad. I don't care. Yeah. It, it, this is who I am as a person. And, you know, I'll go to masterminds and many of the people, if not the majority, are not Christian. That's OK. Yeah. I'm good with all of it. But I do feel that I wasn't put on this planet to be shy and quiet. I was put on this planet to speak what I believe and what I want to share and the value that I can impart to other people. And no one really, Rich, in my view, does that better than you.
2: Oh, I appreciate that. But I, I get zero credit because I'm a chicken. I didn't want to do it. God made it really clear. This is what he wanted me to do. I was standing mm-hmm. on stage one day and I could hear him, not in my head, but in my you know gut, I could hear him telling me he wanted me to talk about this and I didn't want to do it. And he just about forced the words out of my mouth. And I stood up there saying whatever I said, I'd have to go back and watch the recording to know exact words because I don't remember them. But I do remember walking to the back of the room. There was about 250 people in the room walking to the back of the room. And one man came up to me and said, I just want to thank you. You know, today was the day I decided to give my life to Christ. And I go, wait, what? What? And like, how do I know that that God didn't have me do that just for that one person? Right. And I had no idea. And so from that moment forward, God made it really clear that he wanted us to include a conversation about him throughout our business. And we do. I mean, we, Mm -hmm. he started us with Saturday Bible studies at our events. And now we have Bible studies every Wednesday for our clients that who want to show up, you know, and and look, I think 40% of my clients are Jewish and 10% 10% or like something other than Jewish or Christian and you know but everybody shows up and they just participate and it's just, it's really beautiful mm-hmm. it's wonderful and and I and thank you for the kind words about it but I get zero credit other than being obedient because if it was left to my own devices the chances are probably I would have chickened out and not done it because I was raised by a grandfather who said we bury Democrats we bury Republicans we bury Protestants we bury Jews we bury Catholics we don't talk about religion we don't talk about politics we'd keep it neutral and that's just how I was raised in business right and so I thought we shouldn't touch upon those subjects and so it was it was really God that made it clear to me that that's not how he wants me to operate so uh, well
0: rich I mean one of the things I can tell you is what you did in that situation Situation is you weren't listening to your fear you were asking for guidance from God and God gives it to you when you ask yeah. in most cases I have three adopted kids from Russia and I can tell you that when my wife and I uh, went to Russia we were going there to have two children to get two, two kids and it turns out there were three beautiful babies that came to us in the orphanage this is in the near the Republic of Georgia in southern Russia And so we got these three babies and my wife and I are like, what the hell do we do now? And I went back to our home that we were staying in that night. And I I sat down in the silence of thought with God. And I said, God, what do you want me to do? And I think that is the most powerful question anyone can ever ask. Asking God for guidance in what they should do in their life. Because most of the time, God doesn't give me an answer, but sometimes God does. And in that night, in the classroom of silence, God told me, these children are my gift to you. Mm-hmm. And it was clear to me at that point what I was meant to do. The adoption, the whole thing. And God led me down because I asked and I was listening, just like you were that day, when you say, I really don't want to do this, mm-hmm. but you were listening to God. And you know, people could this is not a Moses moment where God is like talking to us, no. but we're listening to our conscience. Yeah. There was no and burning we're looking bush. for guidance. <laughs> and sometimes that guidance is very clear so i appreciate that you share your faith because i do too yeah
2: michael we, we haven't been letting you say much here we've been john no, and been going I, back and been, forth
1: you've been so captivating going back and forth that i've been enjoying as a listener <laughs> so th- this has been good this has been really good it's been a really refreshing conversation and and i appreciate that john because i we we don't always get this style. We we don't always have these types of conversations. So it's nice to be able to change it up a little bit. I I guess I am curious. What what's got you excited? What's got you fired up
0: today? It could be personal. It could be business. Well, you know what? It, it's interesting you bring that up because we are in the process. This is the first time I've done this. Is yeah, you know, we're a small firm. We're we're we have a phenomenal. I'll give you a little inside information too. Okay. This is bizarre. I've never expected this was going to happen in in a million years, but we started working with members of Jehovah's Witness. You could not believe what good people they are. I mean, unbelievable, honest. They never show up late. They always have a smile on their face my, I went to college and law school in the Midwest and everybody there seemed happy all the time in the Northeast rich, like in Scranton, Pennsylvania, people are like, ah, you know, what the hell are you about in in the Midwest? Everyone's happy. And I'm like, damn, I'd love to work in a law firm. That's like where everyone's happy. Because we can count our blessings or we can look at the things we don't have. Right. And in strategic, well, I work in a program called Strategic Coach. And we always talk about measuring backwards, yeah. looking back at the last three or six months at what you've achieved and documenting that. Mm-hmm. And then you look back at that and you're like, holy cow, I've come a long way in the last six months. This is crazy. Mm-hmm. So we, we work, we have an amazing intake team of five people who just do intake. Mm-hmm. I, the one thing I've learned, Rich, all the lawyers talk about marketing. No, you got to you got to master intake before you get to marketing. That's a big mistake. Amen. Because ma- intake will be your marketing machine if you're really good at it. Mm-hmm. Because people see how responsive you are, how you're on top of things, and and so you know it just more cases flow to you when you've mastered intake. Mm-hmm. So we have a team. They they are Jehovah's Witnesses. They are the best people. And rich, it's so great when I need someone else to work at our firm. I'm just like you know I go to our members. And they're like, oh, yeah, we'll bring in someone else. Don't worry nice. about it. And I don't have to worry about them you know, showing up late or anything. It's just amazing. Nice. And so the pandemic, Michael, what I learned from the pandemic is people don't have to be in our law firm. That's, that's old school thinking. So we've got people all across the country who are full-time workers. We have a paralegal in Knoxville, Tennessee who makes about 120 grand a year. She's phenomenal. She and every weekend she's like, "Can I work overtime?" i like, "You don't have to ask. Just work." You know, and she'll send me 25 hours over the weekend. I'm like, "That's crazy good." When you have people, people talk about culture, but you know what really culture is? It's when people are aligned in the thoughts and beliefs that they have. That is what culture is. And in our firm, if somebody is passionate about the rights of the disabled, that person is a good fit for our culture. And so what we're doing to get back to your question, Michael, is this year we, I gave myself a gift. That gift is a second in command, a chief operating officer who takes all the crap that I just don't have time for, who's going to do all that stuff. So we're expanding our law firm to an office in the Bronx. Mm -hmm. New York city is a market that, that we always want to, it's just, it's just a tiny market for us now, but we want to expand that. I want to think bigger and the marketing guy, the uh, second in command. will do all the stuff. I don't want to be bothered by the little stuff. Don't bother me with anything. Interruptions and distractions are the worst thing for a productive workday. So I've given myself that gift. We're expanding the firm into Long Island, New York City. We're in upstate New York, but we're going there in in a very aggressive way. And I love the practice a lot. This is a great way to give back to people. And I don't really get excited about making money. But what I do get excited about is if I'm out on the street in my small town of upstate New York, and I see somebody who is partially paralyzed and severely brain damaged, and they come up to me and give me a huge bear hug, that's the reason I practice Mm -hmm. law. That's it. It's not for the money, it's for that very reason. And you know, I think sometimes, Rich, we hear a lot about people talking about different, you know, expanding revenue and all this, and all of that's good. Knowing the metrics is good. I'm not poo-pooing any of that. But I also think we have to remember the reason we went into this profession in the first place. And if the reason was we want to make as much money as possible, that is a very shallow existence, in my opinion. We want to serve other people. And if somebody calls me or they call our intake team and somebody has died in their family, I said spend all the time that they want on the phone with them. Don't rush to get them off. You'll hear intake people say, if it's not a case, get them off the phone. No, 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 don't do that. Keep them on the phone and tell them how sorry you are, and that you'll do anything to give them some tools or advice to help them. Because I wanna show that we love and we care and we're compassionate with people. I don't wanna be like every other law firm. I wanna be completely different from other law firms. And so, you know, like today I went to see a doctor on one of our upcoming trials. I brought her a copy of my book, When Today? And she's like, what's this? I'm like, no, it's just a little gift for you. They appreciate that. Michael, one of our clients, I met with her, just before Christmas. And I looked, she just moved. She she had little kids and it's a single mother. She had nothing in the fridge. And I went home to my wife and I said, I feel really bad that this mother just doesn't look like she has any money and she's dying of cancer. And so my wife, unbeknownst to me, calls this company that does these huge things of food like this enormous plate and sent it out to her. And I think that little gesture went a long way with that client. We build relationships. And one other thing, uh, Richard, we talk about values. What, is, what are the values that really make a firm run? And a lot of times I think lawyers get it all wrong because they have aspirational values. Like we treat our clients like family, a bunch of crap that is really not true. And no one even knows what the values are. That's my opinion but if you take values and you make them real, like what do you actually do? Like, for example, one of our values is that we never agree to confidential settlements. Back in November, I had a a trial and the case settled. And the the young defense attorney said to me, we want, we're going to have to have confidentiality. I said, no deal. We're not agreeing to it no matter what. And he goes, your, your client's Christmas is really going to suck this year. And I said, maybe so, but they don't celebrate Christmas. So anyway, the just about a week ago, this guy emails me goes, my client has reconsidered. We are not insisting on confidentiality. It's like I could predict that. So (laughs) I've never agreed to a confidential settlement. I never will. And when you draw that line in the sand, and you place an emphasis on the values that, you, that are most important to you, then life becomes more purpose-oriented, more value-oriented. And you're not just a business trying to make green pieces of paper. And to me, that's so important, just like you live your faith. I mean, that doesn't boost the bottom line of your business, right? But what it does, it shows people that you are a value-oriented, faith-based business. And you know what? That's awesome. And and for law firms, if they are faith-based, that's a great way of showing other people. Don't hire me necessarily because that, but if you have the same values that I have, then maybe we are a good fit. You know, we have a client who's been in our Bible and business for a long
2: time and joined a partners club, and then, you know, he was Christian, started coming to the Bible study, and really struggled to put his faith and and his business together and just started, decided. Got some motivation, obviously, from God to put some Bibles out in his waiting room, his lobby. This is pre-COVID. I love that. And he goes, I put them out. He goes, I put five out. And he says, I came in like the next week and I happened to look and I realized they're all gone. And I said (laughs) to my receptionist, I go, where did the Bibles go? She goes, oh, people take them. He goes, really? And so he went and bought cases of them. And nice. now he just stores yeah. them and he keeps replenishing them even today because he still does some business in person, actually a fairly considerable amount of business in person when in their office, they keep Bibles in there all the time and they just people take them and it's conversational. Story. He goes, "He goes, Richard, I never thought I'd be in a consult having a conversation with somebody about their faith as opposed to about their case. He goes, I never thought it would ever happen. And he said, because I put Bibles out, they're now all of a sudden asking me to pray for them and he goes i had yeah. no idea and he goes many of these people are not do not share the same faith as i do right they're they're mm-hmm. not christian mm-hmm. they're not they're they're not like a standardized faith they're, maybe they're unfaith unchurched maybe they're jewish maybe they're muslim whatever they're they're something right. other right. than his faith and they're still having these conversations with him so it's not just Look, if you, you we believe what we believe, and we have our belief system around Christianity, but it, this conversation is not limited to just Christians, right? This con- this is just the right way to be. This the, bringing God into the conversation has just taught me, and I, I think I can't speak for Michael, but I, I think I can. I mean, this is just the right way to run our business. And we do look no shame, shame non shamefully. We measure dollars and cents. We measure conversion. We're all about the numbers and the KPIs. Right. And we know what our profitability mm-hmm. is. And we teach that, right? We think that's important, mm-hmm. but it should not be only about that. And we, we right. believe, as you believe in our fundamental theory around here is, is that when I ask our clients, why should you make more profit? They have been trained to answer so we can help more families because if you want to grow, you can't grow if you're not a profitable business. I got to have you be a profitable business so you can reinvest and grow and so you can serve more families. And that's it. Now, we can't just say, oh, I want to be profitable and forget about the other side, because if that happens, all things go badly. But if we can be profitable in order to be able to serve more families, because we got great systems, we've got a great tool that's going to really affect people with the practice area that we have. Now we've got our alignment correct, right? So Anyway, again, Michael, we've started talking and not letting you share,
1: but here we are. Uh, No, it's again, once again, very valuable conversation. So, John, what's the best way for people to reach out, learn
0: a little bit more about you or what you do? Well, you know, I'll tell you what. Here, before I do that, one time when I was starting my business, Richard, they and Michael, they, I I decided I've got to master this marketing stuff. So, I, I took the best GKIC guy, and I said. I found out who he was and he goes, my rate for one hour is $15,000. I said, would you take 10 grand? (laughs) And he said, okay, so I'm going to be in New Jersey. I said, no problem. I'll meet you at a diner. And we ended up talking for about two hours. And I can tell you that I really didn't learn much at all, except for one thing. And he said that the people who thrive and make the most money are the people who devote at least 50% or more of their time to business development and marketing it is so true. The the lawyers who are thriving in the world of personal injury are those guys who and girls who never see a courtroom. You, they wouldn't even know where to stand or sit in a courtroom. The, the last time they tried a case was probably 30 years ago. It doesn't matter because they've mastered business. That is so critical. And they go to masterminds with incredible people like Richard James, and they just suck in all that wisdom. And then- That is the power of a mastermind. You just like soak in the wisdom of other people and you learn from what they're doing. And I I really feel like for for me, it's not something so much that I can offer other people. But when you surround yourself with higher achieving people and you are the dumbest person in the room, then amazing things happen when you have a tribe of people willing to do anything for you. But people, if they want to get in touch with me, I'll give you my personal email because I don't check. I'm not embarrassed to say this. I have not checked my work email in years. <laughs> so yeah. it. It's, hey, other people do it for me. They come to me if there's something that's urgent. So I don't look at email, right. period. Right. And I don't want to have a distraction like a phone call either. Yeah. If somebody's going to get through to me, there are certain steps that they have to go through to get there. Yeah. And so, but if somebody wanted to get to me, the best way is my personal email, J, the letter J Fisher, F I S h e r lawyer at gmail.com or my cell 518-265-9131. If you email me, text me or call me, I'm happy to send signed copies of any of my books to you. And I'm so grateful for the work that you do. And I think Michael, your father is just an amazing example for you. Agreed. In taking chances, trying, admitting that failures okay. And I am a huge disciple of Warren Buffett. And one of the things, my biggest takeaway from Warren Buffett is do you know that 98% of his wealth he was generated after the age of 65? What does that show you? What does that say? I mean, of course he was wildly rich before 65, but when he said 65, 98% of his wealth was generated. What that shows you is consistency. He had a partner who was different than Charlie Munger and this partner was like, we got a great business. We got to make as much money as quickly as we can. And they parted ways with that partner because Warren Buffett wanted to get wealthy slowly. So when somebody is in business right now, Rich, and they say, I'm struggling, my law firm's not doing so great. What I would say to them, that's pretty much true, but go nice and slow, realize it's going to take time and chip away a little bit every single day improve your law firm a little bit, document a new system, develop a new policy for your firm, go to a mastermind like Richard James Partners Group and go to that, learn from the wisdom of others. And I know, because I know many of some of the members of your partners group, they're amazing lawyers, amazing people. And there's so much wisdom to learn. Don't, don't recreate the wheel, learn from people who have already created the wheel and are doing it better than you are.
2: Well thanks for that mm-hmm. shout out my friend and not necessary I appreciate the words of uh, kindness that you've shared with me today I will you know re- reciprocate and say that it has been a real joy watching your journey thank you for sharing it with me over the last uh, 14 years Thank you for coming on today and giving just a little nugget. Michael and I sign up are definitely on the list where we want signed copies. So let us know how we get, we'll email you to get, make sure we get signed copies of the book because we would love a signed copy of your latest book. And for anybody listening, man, you got, you got some, I mean, this was, this was action packed. I, I just looked down. I'm like, Oh my gosh, we're at 47 minutes. We never go 47 minutes. And it felt like it went in a blink of an eye, John. So Congratulations yeah. on giving great, great value today. Michael, how do you want to wrap us up?
1: Well, hey, time flies when you're having fun. Yeah. To the law firm owners listening, thank you for taking the time to listen. Thank you for investing that time into the show. So look, we got the gentleman's agreement around here. If this isn't your first time listening or watching, you got some value, you enjoyed it, go ahead and hit that subscribe or follow button, depending on where you're listening or watching from. Hit the like button, show John some love in the comments down below. We enjoy investing our time, money, and resources into this because it's something that we know provides value. So this is your way of just saying thank you in return. We appreciate you listening. And John, thank you very much for all of the excellent wisdom you parted on all of us today.
0: Well, keep doing what you're doing because I'm a big fan and I'm still following you. And I am grateful for our relationship and friendship.
1: The feeling is
2: mutual, my friend. Our best to you and your family. Prayers on wherever you're going next, my friend.
0: Hey, thank you. All right.
2: See you.